Hello and welcome to Search for Truth, your Bible teaching program with Brian Johnston. Thanks for tuning in. Bible teacher Brian has another talk today in our present series about the gospel of God's grace, which is described in Paul's letter to the Christians at Galatia, or Galatians, as the letter is called, and it's in the New Testament of our Bible. Our studies are based on this Bible letter, and today Brian looks at adoption in the context of the gospel of God's grace. So, thanks Brian. And thank you, John. Adoption, back in New Testament times, was often an adoption of adults, and even at times of slaves. Careful selection was done, all with the goal in mind that the person being adopted would be someone who could be trusted to enhance the family reputation. We should be aware of the fact that in Roman times, a father had near-absolute legal authority over his children. This extended to the power of life and death over them and it continued as long as the father remained alive, no matter the age of the child. Children were viewed more or less as possessions. This meant that whenever a Roman man of wealth and prominence wanted to adopt a young man, the absolute power of the birth father over the son had to be transferred to him, that is, to the father who was doing the adopting. How this happened was through an elaborate process in which the birth father would first symbolically sell and then buy back his son twice. But after selling him a third time, he didn't buy him back again. What this achieved was it symbolised the breaking of his ownership rights and the transfer of that absolute power from the birth father to the new father. In a second step, the adopting father went to a Roman magistrate and presented the legal case for the complete transfer of the rights of the son from his birth father to himself, the adopting father. This was a formal legal transaction for which there were witnesses, as in a court of law. So we see that this ancient adoption process had a distinctly commercial aspect to it. The adopted son was bought out of his old family, leaving all his debts and obligations behind him. None of these debts followed him. It was as if his old persona became extinct, and this was a totally new start. The adopted person lost all his rights to his old family, and he gained all the rights of a fully legitimate son in his new family. In the most literal sense, and in the most legally binding way, he got a new father. In law, the old life of the adopted person was completely wiped out. For example, all debts were legally cancelled. They were wiped out as though they'd never been. The adopted person was regarded as a new person, entering into a new life, with which the past no longer had anything to do. In the eyes of the law, the adopted person was literally and absolutely the son of the new father. He became heir to his new father's estate. Even if other sons were born afterwards, who were the new father's own flesh and blood, it didn't affect the adopted son's rights in any way, shape or form. Nothing, absolutely nothing, could change the legal fact that he was a co-heir with them. How well all this illustrates Bible teaching for believers on the Lord Jesus Christ. We, who are all sons of God through faith, have been bought with a price. We've previously read from Galatians chapter 4, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. What we are told, among other things there, is that God sent his Son, born to Mary on earth as Jesus Christ, that we might be redeemed from sin's curse, 
and as a result be adopted as sons to God through our faith in Jesus Christ. The redemption, which means we were bought back to God, was necessary for this adoption to become a reality. This reminds us of how, in the Roman custom of adoption, the new father bought the son he wished to adopt. There was a commercial basis for the legal transaction of adoption, one which bought out all the debts and all the obligations of his or her old life, and the adoptee was in reality a new person with a new identity and a new life in the eyes of the law and society then. That's the background to understanding what's happened to the believer on the Lord Jesus. In those ancient times, adoption was as much, if not more, for the advantage of the family who were doing the adopting. To take a not untypical case, suppose we imagine a family where the natural children are not showing themselves particularly capable of continuing the family business. The head of the household, in that case, might well look to adopt his most trusted slave, who has shown himself to be an expert in business and to have great business skills. In this way, the family's future success and reputation could be enhanced by such a strategic move. And is there not a voice for us in that? But only in this sense, that God has adopted us to carry on his work on earth and to advance his kingdom. God has selected us for adoption so that we might be to the praise of his glory. Let's read more about the kind intention of God's will in adopting us from Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. It says, My children, with whom I am again in labour until Christ is formed in you. God's desire is that he should see his son in the life of everyone he adopts. I want to lay alongside this an Old Testament verse, if I may. It's Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 14, and it says this, Like a woman in labour, I will groan. And this is God speaking. He says, I will both gasp and pant. Now, what's this all about? In surrounding sections of the prophet of Isaiah, God addresses Israel and her Messiah alternately as being his chosen servant, through whom he'd achieve his ultimate purposes in this world and in the world to come. However, Unlike her Messiah, Israel as a nation had a checkered history with variable performance. To get Israel back on track, God at times speaks of being proactive towards them under the figure of a heroic warrior, but at other times the picture radically changes to that of a pregnant woman, no less. Like Joseph before his brothers, God too had restrained himself with age-long, if not eternal, restraint waiting for the time when Israel would finally rise to her obligations. But later, like a pregnant woman taking deep breaths before the final push, he spoke of putting off restraint. He could wait no longer, and like a woman whose time to give birth has come, he just wanted to get it over with, and so spoke of groaning, gasping and panting. What remarkable language! We'd never have dared to picture God by analogy with a pregnant woman. How expressive! of how God waited with intense longing for his expectation for Israel to be fulfilled. Remember, it was Paul's turn of phrase in Galatians 4 and verse 19 that drew our attention to this. In that verse, Paul said to the Galatian Christians that he was in labour until Christ should be formed in them. Without doubt, these same longings of the Apostle Paul were in a true sense the longings of God himself. And what's more, since our circumstances 
match those of these first century Christians in all the relevant particulars, we know that this is also God's expectation of us too. He has adopted us to the end that we should bear a family resemblance to his son. By this we mean we are destined to become Christ-like, and God can't wait for that to happen. There's a golden chain, you know, in Romans chapter 8 from verse 29, which could be described as having four golden links which span from eternity to eternity and completely sums up God's purpose for us as believers on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the most wonderful CV that anyone could have, qualifying us for an eternity spent with God. It comes down to four words. We're chosen, called, justified and glorified. The last of these has not yet actually taken place, but it's so certain, so bolted on, rock solid, that the Holy Spirit caused Paul to use the past tense for a yet future action. That alone should convince everyone about our eternal security in Christ, with no falling away from salvation possible at all. No one can fall out anywhere between predestination and glorification. So, even in the analogy with Roman adoption law, it's shown that an adopted son, having been placed as a joint heir with other natural sons, could never have his status successfully challenged. His adoption could never be unstitched. It was binding. How much more so when God speaks and gives us his word? Some might wonder why that four-word summary that defines our origin, purpose and destiny doesn't explicitly include the word sanctification. That's because our ultimate sanctification is included in our glorification. We will be glorified with Christ. And as 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 says, it's two-way. Not only are we to be glorified in him, but he in us. The Lord Jesus was glorified in his physical body while on the Mount of Transfiguration. But he'll also be glorified eternally in his mystical, spiritual body, which is the church, that is, all who have put their saving faith in the man of Calvary. Our destiny is to become as Christ-like as it's possible for a creature to become, as near and dear to God as Christ himself is. And God can't wait. And frankly, neither can I.
I hope you enjoyed today's talk. And do you know the joy and eternal security that comes from having faith in Christ? And are you looking forward to his return? If you'd like to know more about this or any other questions you may have, please write in and Brian will be glad to help. We never pass on your details to anyone else so you can contact us with confidence. There's a transcript book for all the talks in this series. It's available free on request by asking for the title The Gospel of God's Grace. You can order by email or by post and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. And look out as well for Search for Truth featuring on www.twr360.org. We're excited that this will give you yet another excellent way of listening again to what you first heard here on air. And I hope you've enjoyed today's talk, as I say, and many thanks once again for your attentiveness in these studies. We do appreciate your interest. Next week we have another talk about the Gospel of God's Grace, and I hope you can join us again. So, for now, it's best wishes from Brian, David, our singers and me, John. So cheerio, and may God richly bless you. Yeah.